And welcome, Hoosier fans, to another special edition episode of The Assembly Call, another edition of Hoosier Storytime. Uh, last week, I had the opportunity to interview another IU legend for our private uh, community members, and we did this interview live for the community members, but I'm happy uh, to post it here in the podcast feed so that everybody has a chance to listen to it. And it is a guy who really needs no introduction uh, for folks like me who kind of came of age as Indiana fans in the late 80s and early 90s because he is one of the best players from that era, one of the best players from any era at Indiana, and that is Brian Evans, one of the truly great player development stories in the history of Indiana basketball. And so we have a long conversation. Like Obviously, Brian has been on the Hoosier Hysterics podcast several times. He was on with Podcast on the Brink. So what I wanted to do with this interview is really just try and cover some different ground with him than you've probably heard on some of those shows. Uh, and, you know, look for a guy whose favorite team is the 1992-1993 Hoosiers. I had a lot of questions. <laughs> so we spent a lot of time talking about that team, about what it was like playing with Calvert Chaney, what it was like being at the epicenter of college basketball. Uh, and we spent some time talking about, you know, player development and what makes that work, uh, you know, what he thinks about, you know, obviously what's going on with Indiana basketball right now. Just look, it's Brian Evans, a ton of great stories, really engaging guy. Really, really enjoyed the conversation. So happy to play it for you now. And if you're interested in joining us inside of our private IU basketball discussion community where we do these interviews live, go to assemblycall.com slash community. We would love to have you there. Uh, all the details, you'll find them right there. But if you have any questions about anything, you can always email me, jared at assemblycall.com. The only other thing I want to say before we start this interview is you should go to this URL, assemblycall.com slash PP. That's just the letter P, the letter P. That'll redirect you to Playbook Products. It's a, an affiliate URL. So basically, if you buy something at, at Playbook Products, we get a 15% commission. But what's important to you is why you should go to Playbook Products. You know, with Father's Day coming up, if you want a unique gift for the sports fan dad in your life, or if you want to tell people where to get you something, you should recommend Playbook Products because they sell mugs, they sell coasters, they have this really cool stone coaster design, they do leather coasters, and they, what they do, like their thing is they take diagrams of famous plays and they put them on these coasters and they put them on uh, these mugs. And so for Indiana, you know, they have some of the plays that you would think they would have. Keith Smart shot, Christian Watford shot, Kirk Haston shot to beat Michigan State when they were ranked number one, the final play of the 1976 national title game and what i didn't realize is they actually have bob knight's chair toss as well it's over you have to go to like the special section uh but they have that on there as well so they have tons of college basketball ones tons of college football ones they have one for every professional sports team so any sports fan in your life there will be something cool here for them something they can set their drink on have right up by their computer just like i have mine right now um they even have face masks on there so I know the CDC is saying if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear face masks. But if you want to keep a face mask around and have Christian Watford shot on it, go ahead. You can do that. Anyway, the URL is assemblycall.com slash PP. Go check it out. If you find something cool, you can order from them. And it's a double win because you'll be supporting the assembly call as well since we get a cut of the sale. So assemblycall.com slash PP. Check it out. All right. Without further ado, here is my interview with Brian Evans. Thank you. 
And welcome, Hoosier fans, to our second live interview here inside of the Assembly Call IU Sports Discussion community. You know, for me, as someone who grew up going to IU basketball games and idolizing IU basketball players, it's always a thrill anytime I get a chance to talk to someone who actually wore the cream and crimson. But I'm not going to lie, it is extra special when it's one of the guys that I actually grew up pretending to be in my driveway. In fact, if you added up all the time that I spent pretending to be IU players, and it was a lot of time, uh, of course, Calvert Chaney would be number one, but my guest today probably would be number two, another lefty scorer who teamed up with Calvert on my favorite IU sports team of all time, the 1992-93 NAI National Champion Indiana Hoosiers, and the NAI, of course, stands for No Allen Injury. He was a redshirt freshman on that team who scored 5.3 points per game and became a key part of the rotation in Big Ten play. As a sophomore, he improved his scoring average by 6.6 points and was a starter on a Sweet 16 team. As a junior, he improved his scoring average again by 5.4 more points and was Allen Henderson's right-hand man on an NCAA tournament team. And then as a senior, he improved his scoring average by 3.4 more points as the unquestioned leader of another NCAA tournament team. He also grabbed 7.1 rebounds, dished out 4.1 assists, and barely ever came off the court in a Big Ten MVP campaign that I will forever remember as the culmination of one of the greatest player development stories in IU basketball history. And get this, he became the first player in the Bob Knight era, not Scott May, not Mike Woodson, not Steve Alford, not Jay Edwards, not even Calvert Chaney, to lead the Big Ten in points per game. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the guy whose shot form I always tried to emulate whenever I got into a slump. Because he always had his elbow in and his eyes on the rim. It is Brian Evans. Brian, welcome to the Assembly Call. Jared, that is a fantastic uh, intro. Thank you very, very much. The, the music at the beginning gets, I, I start sweating a little bit. Like, I want to be out there on the court. That is the greatest of all time. Did you see, like, flags coming out of the corner of your eye when that music was playing? I did. I felt it. I did. I felt it. It was so good. <laughs> So, Brian, number one, thanks for, for taking the time and joining us. We really appreciate it. And, you know, we had Steve Green on a couple of weeks back, obviously your partner at Aurora Sleep, and he kind of filled us in on what you guys are doing with Aurora Sleep. My question for you is, have you expanded to Dallas yet? And if not, why? Because I'm ready to come in and have you help me with my sleep. Are you? You're struggling? Well, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. But I got to believe with those Indiana roots, that you could make a quick trip back here to see us and uh, and visit with Steve and I both. I think We'd so. We'd love to help you. Next, next time I come, I'm definitely going to stop in. No doubt about it. Good. Do you, uh, for folks who might have missed that, you want to give us the quick rundown on what you guys are doing? And for folks who are in Indiana, of course, they should go to aurorasleep.com, A-R-O, wait, A-R-O-R-A, sleep.com. Tell them what you guys are doing and why it's so important. Yes, we are making, we make custom oral devices uh, Steve, with his background as a dentist, uh, we make custom oral devices for people that that suffer with uh, snoring and sleep apnea. Um, and we, they come into the clinic, we make a custom device for them, and we're uh, we're helping a lot of Hoosiers. I gotta I gotta tell you, it's been great. We're uh, we're off and running, and Steve's a, a fantastic partner. So, folks that uh, maybe are catching that elbow from their bed partner every night, um, thinking that their snoring is is not a big deal. It is. Uh, we open we open up your airway, and so you're you're going to get better sleep, deeper sleep, and you're and you're going to stop disrupting the sleep of the person lying next to you. Um, folks that have sleep apnea and do not like the CPAP or have been prescribed a CPAP and just can't can't get used to it, don't want to wear it. Um, come see us. 
come see us. We can help you. We, you know, those are, we get, we get CPAP non-compliant, uh, customers every single day. And, uh, we, it's, we've got a great alternative to CPAP and it's, it's uh, cost effective and, and it works. So we'd love to, we'd love to grow the business and we're going to, we'll be out your way before long. Uh, but our first couple of years here, we're going to be central Indiana focused. We've got a million snores and sleep apnics within 30 miles of our clinic. So we've been, we've opened the doors and been plenty, plenty busy here at the end of this, I hope at the end of this pandemic. So we expect to continue to grow. Sleep apnics. Is that the term for someone who has sleep apnea? Yeah, you can call them that. <laughs> Did you guys coin that term or is that one that's been around? No, I've, I've heard Steve say it. I mean, Steve might have coined the phrase. I don't know if I'd have to check with them on that one. But, yeah, that's uh, that's what we call them. All right. Well, that works. Well, I'm, I'm one of those catching elbows, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check you guys out next time I'm up in Bloomington. Perfect. So, Brian, I want to talk with you about the 1993 team. That's where I want to start because, as I mentioned in the intro, that is my favorite sports team of all time. I'm not sure it's possible to ever supplant it because, you know, the teams that you fall in love with when you're 10, 11, 12 years old kind of hold this special, you know, emotional connection to you that's really hard, you know, to, to kind of break or separate you from as you get older. Um, and it was just, you know, I grew up going to those games with my dad, loved everything about that season. And, you know, what I always try to tell people, especially younger fans who weren't around then and are like, you know, why is everybody still so crazy about Indiana basketball? You know, we haven't been winning all this stuff. It's like there was a time, you may not remember this, when Indiana was the epicenter of college basketball. And to me, that's really the last time when IU basketball was truly the epicenter. You had the number one team, the best player, the best coach. Nick Nolte's coming to games. Like when you think back to that team in 93, is there a moment or a story that sums up for you what it was like playing for IU at that time? Well, I can relate to you on a bunch of different levels because I, you know, my favorite sports teams, I was a kid, with the exception of the Cubs that won the World Series, that was a pretty big deal to me as a Cub fan. But the 85 Bears, the 87 Hoosiers, the 89 Hoosiers, uh, some of my favorite teams, Mm -hmm. uh, 86 Celtics, and they, you know, they do, they hold, excuse me, they hold a special place in your heart for sure. That team, um, it's all I really knew, you know, when I, when I when I got to Bloomington as a redshirt freshman, it was a you know it was the same team, but Calvert and those guys were juniors. Except we had Eric Anderson and Jamal Meeks, um, and I just I, you know I remember getting there and, and starting to play in the, in the fall of '91 and playing these uh, open gyms, just thinking, man, I have a long way to go. You know, <laughs> these guys are way better than me. You know, this is not going to be easy, and. Looking back, it's like, well, that was a that was just a loaded roster. I mean, <laughs> it really was. There was so much, so much good basketball. Or, you know, guys that that had trouble getting in the games. Guys like Pat Graham. I don't think people understand how good he was. Uh, you know, Todd Leary, Pat Graham. Uh, you know, Damon started some, and and it certain times didn't start. I mean, it was just a really deep team. Um, a lot of Indiana guys too. So. There, there wasn't, we didn't waste a lot of time, you know, explaining to the, the freshmen what it meant to, to play Purdue or what it meant to play Kentucky. These guys just knew this is just a, just a, a veteran roster of guys that were really serious about winning and wanted to win a championship. That's what that roster was top to bottom, which is, you know, 
I think it's really rare. And I think it was, it was, it was just fantastic to be a part of those guys were my heroes too. I mean, I was a huge, huge Indiana fan growing up and, you know, Calvert and that 89 recruiting class were, you know, I knew all those names and, you know, the, their high school stats and everything else about those guys. And then to go join that, you know, that team and be in the locker room, locker room with them was, was amazing. You know, the, both those teams, the 92 team and the 93 team were so incredible. And I guess, you know, the tragedy of those teams, you know, if you can use that term is that whenever they're discussed now, you know, usually the first thing that comes up with the 92 team is Ted Valentine's officiating in the final four. And the first thing that comes up with the 93 team is Allen getting hurt and losing in the elite eight, you know, and you talk about the losses and it's so easy to kind of dwell on the end of the season and what happened and this unfulfilled potential but it misses so many of the high moments along the way. So as you think back to those two seasons in particular, because you're right, I mean, there are, I mean, you can make an entire starting lineup of like top 50 all-time players. It's incredible how many great players are on that team. As you think, like, what is the high moment of, you know, of those two seasons with that group of players? What was like just the, the, the top moment for you in terms of, man, this is what being an IU basketball player is like? You know, Tough question. Good one. Um, the first year, your head's just kind of spinning, you know, and you don't know any better. And we kind of, you know, we just, I'm a red shirt. And I just remember, you know, coach getting on me a lot in practice and thinking, man, he's spending a lot of time focusing all of his uh, energy on this red shirt freshman who never plays in a game. And, you know, n- now I know that's because we were winning <laughs> and winning so much. <laughs> That he didn't have to spend a lot of time getting on Calvert, who was, you know, 12 of 15 from the field, uh, and we're beating people by 20 points. You know, what do you, what's he going to say to Calvert? So he, he shifted his focus over to me, and I thought, man, I'm, I'm getting way more attention than I want or even need at this point. Um, and then, you know, the next year, it, you're like, you're right. It was from the tip. It was preseason number one, uh, midnight madness people going crazy, you know, 17,500 packing the place for a practice, you know, and I don't, I don't know that that's happened since, but that's the, that was the vibe, you know, that for that team was, we were, we were absolutely solely focused on winning a championship. There's, you know, three years, the next three years, I don't think that was in the locker room anymore. You know, that, that uh, mystique or just that, that vibe, like we're here to win a, a national championship. And if we don't, it's going to be a letdown. Um, I just thought that was going to be every season playing there. And it, and it wasn't, it was that team because there's, there was a ton of talent, but there was just a, there was a seriousness too about that team. I, you know, one specific moment, you know, I don't know. We snuck out of a couple games. I, I made a shot in uh, double overtime to win a game at Penn state, that mm-hmm. double overtime game that kept us undefeated. Um, I remember staying I up late points. watching that game. <laughs> <laughs> I had two points in the whole game and I, and I coach didn't put me in. I, he was, uh, he is, wasn't happy with me that week of practice and he didn't want to put me in. And I, I don't think I got into the end of the first overtime. Um, and it was cause a couple guys had fouled out and I ended up hitting a shot and thinking, okay, okay, now I'm back. And we, we run into the locker room and, you know, we know we didn't play well. And this is how good this team was. So we're on the road. We, we keep our 
record undefeated in the Big Ten. We should have been excited, high five, and and like a sigh of relief. And instead, we got in the locker room, and coach was so unhappy with us for the way we played. He was just no showers, get on the airplane, go home. It was was incredibly angry the whole way. And I get, I just remember getting back to my apartment. My buddies were still up waiting for the 3 a.m. sports center. Wasn't on every hour on the hour like it is now. There was the 11 o'clock and the 3 a.m. And these guys were up having a blaster. Like when I walked in the door, they said, you're not going to believe this press conference. You got to stay up and watch it. I'm like, I don't care about the press conference. You know, I was happy we won. <laughs> Coach in the press conference, Coach says that he officially started rooting for Penn State about halfway through the first half. He just he just appreciated their style of basketball and how hard they were playing and everything about their team. And officially, it was was no longer rooting for us to win. And you know, then he goes on to talk about their coach and how great of a job he's doing and and how we didn't come ready to play. And that was a moment where I was like, wow, the standards here are are, are super high. You know, here we are undefeated, and coach wasn't having it. He did not like the way we played. He didn't like our approach to the game. And I just, I mean, that moment kind of sticks out because here I had a little bit of a high and he brought us right back down to earth. And, and that, and, and moments like that, you realize, wow, we were, you know, we're here to play our best. He's not happy with anything except our best, which is, a, you know, looking back, a pretty cool thing. How bad does it smell on the plane ride home when you're not allowed to take showers after playing a double <laughs> overtime game? You know, the sights and sounds and the smells, I don't remember them all. I just remember I just remember thinking, I hope this is a quick plane trip. <laughs> when you when you guys like get together and when, you know, that group, you know, the, the players that were there in ninety two, the players that were there in ninety three that were so good, good enough to win a national championship. You know, and again, you know, the ninety two team, everybody talks about the officiating at the end. You got the injury to Allen uh, and to Pat, you know, in, in ninety three. When you guys reflect on the way that those seasons end, do you view your inability to win the championship as a failure or something that was kind of taken away from you because of, you know, either bad officiating or, or certainly more more to the point in the 93 season, the injury to Allen? Like, what what's the lingering feeling on those seasons coming up short? You know, I think you you put yourself in position, right? In both of those seasons, we were good enough to win a title. Um, that happens every year, though. There's always, you know, there's always teams in the hunt. You know, even in the NBA, there's there's always a handful of teams that if things go right and they're playing well at the right time, injuries are always a part of it. And, you know, yeah, there's a lot of disappointment, but there's also opportunities. So, I, you know, I know at the end of that, uh, the final four when we lost and you know, the officiating gets talked about a lot. We, we weren't quite good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, just not quite good enough. But then we felt like, okay, in the off season, like now we know we're returning that same lineup. You know, I got a, a summer to improve. We all had a summer to get better. Uh, I know we felt really good going into the next season, but you know, you, you got to stay healthy and you got to be playing well, you know, at tournament time. And, you know, there's certainly there's disappointment of the way that ended. I mean, I remember that eerie feeling that felt like no other day um, that I can remember at Assembly Hall, the day that Allen got hurt in practice. Mm. You just, you, you had a, it was just an eerie thing. You could see it in coach's face. He was always just supremely confident 
And if somebody missed the game, there's no excuses that we're not going to go win the game. You know, next man up. You, you hear that all the time now. You, you know, you don't. We knew we had a deep rice, a, a deep roster, and we knew there was other guys that could play. Um, if if Damon missed a game or you know Chris Reynolds missed a game, we felt like no matter who we're playing, we go win the game. When Allen went down, he was such a key part of our team and such a great player. Number one, we all know that, but. We weren't a, a real big team, you know. Um, after him, I mean, he was such a force on the on the boards, and you know, Allen was just a walking double double. So when you lose his interior presence, and you know his scoring, and he was only scoring twelve points a game, you know, something like that, ten rebounds. But there, he was more than that, you know. He he was long armed. He was he had the high IQ. He was a great help defender. He blocked a lot of shots from a help position. And it was that interior presence that we lost. That then we just got kind of thin. You know, I, I kind of slid in and, and started at that position for the rest of the year. And you know, he and I are you know much different players. Yeah, similar heights. He's about a half an inch taller than me, but I was more of a you know at that time especially more of a perimeter player. And we just lost that you know that that body. And you know, I still feel like we could have won the title. Um, but we ran into a Kansas team that had a lot of length, and that's really what what beat us in that game. I mean, they, they had a, a great team. They had good guards. They had, they had a, all around a good roster like we did, but they probably had the longest team and the best uh, front court, you know, collective front court at that time. So, you know, that just made that game a really tough matchup, and Kansas was good. Um, you know, when the season ended, it's sad, and you you know you're losing Calvert and that great senior class guys. I you know I love playing with, and you know some of the greatest teammates ever. Uh, but at the same time, I I was starving for for more, you know. And so as that season ends, I start you know you look to the summer, you get started right away. There's no there's no break, you know. You don't go home and hang out in your hometown for two months. You know we're we're still in school. Summer school's coming. We're in the locker room, you know, a week later we're meeting coach and he ramps up the, you know, the pressure and, and, and turns it up on us. Like, who's going to get better? Who's, you know, this, the off season starts now. We want to come back and win next year. It starts right now. You go straight into that, the mindset of getting in better, improving and getting better, adding to your, to your game uh, collectively as a team, all of that stuff happens so fast. So, you know, there, there wasn't like a, a grieving period the season was over and now we're getting ready and i'm thinking okay now i'm a you know now i'm a sophomore you know i gotta i gotta get better i want to i want to be a full-time starter i want to try to become an all big 10 player it's time to get to work and that's kind of how it unfolded well there was definitely a grieving period for me <laughs> i can tell you that much to 11 year old me grieved for a while i can actually man you talk about that day when alan got hurt just kind of being so eerie I still remember where I was, like sitting in my the living room at my parents' house. There was some like channel, it was like channel five or something, and sports news would like just kind of, you know, kind of scroll through. It'd be like regular news and then sports news. And mm-hmm. you know, I just remember the thing popped up, you know, Alan Henderson has torn his ACL. And I was like, This can't be real. I like my heart just sank, you know, and it's oh man, it was You're uh, telling me that was your first introduction to fake news. You thought it was fake news. <laughs> I was hoping. I was hoping. <laughs> I was definitely hoping. Um, you know, talk about the players on that team. You know, and Calbert is obviously a legend for so many reasons. When you're 
grandkids ask you what it was like playing for Calvert Cheney, what's the first story that you're going to tell them that sums up your experience with Calvert? Well, you know, for me, it was it was extra special. I think being a lefty, uh, he was Coach Knight's first ever lefty, if you can believe that. Of all those years, he was the first one, and I I was the second, right? And played pretty much played the same position, wing. You know, he's he's more he's two three, but more of a three, and I was at, in kind of three, maybe a little bit of four, right? Um, I have a little more size than him, and he had a lot more athleticism than me. And so what was really neat is that I got to guard him. And I, I'm, I'm not sure if oh, geez. I got to guard him every day or I had to guard him every day. So it, it kind of went back and forth. Like it was, it was cool, right? Because I knew I was going to improve. And I got to guard the guy that was you know, the best player on the number one team in America. And he's running me off screens every day of practice. And I'm getting just beat up, right? Just running through these screens. And what I, I got you know, a lens into the offense and, you know, the way he saw it. So think about how valuable that is. So like I'm guarding Calvert and he has mastered the motion offense at this point in time. So just an incredible resource as well for me, asking him questions, you know, trying to understand him, you know, why did he go this way? Why did, you know, there's times where he would change sides of the floor because he wanted to be on the same on the same side with Nover because Nover was such a great screener. He didn't want to be on the side of the court with me or or a guard or anybody else. He wanted to be on the same side as Nover. I didn't realize you could just choose those things, right? Well, you can. I mean, in in coach's offense, there's a lot of freedom, and and he had just completely mastered the art of of the offense, and so. I got to I got to see it through his eyes by him you know by guarding him every day, and just prepared me to to push myself, you know the next couple of seasons when he was gone and really make that offense, you know work for me. Um, you know you spend your first couple of years trying to fit into that offense, and then coach is so great about letting the players dictate the flow of it. I, I think that gets that gets lost sometimes. Of everyone thinks of Coach Knight as some disciplinarian that was you know, calling plays and we're doing exactly what he wants done, but that's, it couldn't be further from the truth. You know, we had basic principles of movement and spacing in our offense and it, and then he would turn it over to us to take it from there. So there's, it was a lot of interpretation and, and so to play with him and guard him and have him guard me was, I don't even, I, I probably can't even, can't even, Dick, just tell you how how pivotal that was. I think it's. I think it was maybe the single most important thing for me outside of Bob Knight being there every day was was playing with and guarding Calvert Cheney every day. Hmm. You know, you talk about the offense. What has been your reaction the last three or four years watching an Indiana team play offense where there really hasn't been much ability to screen? There's constant point guards looking over you know, to get plays. I mean, it's just so night and day different from the offenses that you guys ran. Like, how do you react to that while you're watching games? Well, this year I will, um, I'll try not to bash them, you know, anymore. We've, we've obviously made a lot of changes and there's a lot to be excited about. So it's kind of, it's kind of past time to be hammering that, that team and that offense and the, you know, player development. I mean, we could go down the list if we, if you want. Um, but I saw that the day we played Michigan this year, 
they replayed a game from the 92-93 season at home when we were playing the Fab Five. Hmm. Um, did you catch that on the Big Ten Network? I, I mean, I've watched that game. I didn't see it this year, but I've watched that game several times. And I, yeah, so I watched it, and I hadn't seen it you know, since I played in the game. And it was really fun to watch. It really was. And you know, my phone was lighting up because I think a lot of Indiana fans <laughs> were becoming fed up with the team and their play. Everybody was dialed in to, to watch that game from that season that you that you cherished so much, and so did I. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was it was just a lot of teamwork, a lot of the basketball was always on the move. Guys were looking for each other. There was a lot of cutting to the baskets. So you had, you know, we'd get easy baskets. You know, and the the thing I saw with this team this this past season is just everything was a struggle. There was never an easy basket. You know, there was never a back cut and a layup. Everything seemed like you know this against the wind that's like a you know a low probability shot uh, with a hand in your face and and then just the inability to make jumpers you know in the, throughout the course of the game i was watching the final four and i was marveling at all the all the shot makers you know ucla and gonzaga they had a lot of shot guys just making tough shots jump shots <laughs> i kept pinching myself going well, that guy's a great shooter. That guy's a great shooter. That guy's a great shooter. And then I realized I've just been watching so many IU games all year and some of the worst <laughs> shooting performances ever. I thought everybody was a great shooter. <laughs> yeah. In comparison, it seemed like it. Mm-hmm. Man, that, that, not, that game against Michigan, I have this vivid memory, you know, being there. And man, I remember how charged up the crowd was. And I just remember one play in particular where Chris Weber dunked and hung on the rim. And I'm not sure I've ever heard the the assembly hall crowd boo louder than they did at that moment when he's hanging on the rim after a dunk. What uh, what was it like playing those teams? You know, because I think a lot of us have kind of have a, in hindsight, have more appreciation for them than we did at the time. Because at the time, it was like, you know, this evil empire like coming into assembly hall, and you know, we have to defend the purity of basketball. Um, you know, at least that's, I think that's how some fans looked at it, but what was it like playing those guys and all the hype that, that they brought with them? So I was the same age in high, in high school as those guys. And except I redshirted, right. So I had played, you know, Weber and Howard and Jalen in, in AAU ball. Um, uh, and, and Weber was a full grown man when we were like 13. Like, so he was like a, I've known, I'd known his name since I was 12 or 13 years old. Cause he was just a man child. And Doing those, I mean, dunking like that as a young guy, um, you know, way, way, he was just way ahead of everybody. And Glenn was, Glenn Robinson wasn't too far behind. Those guys were just, they were, they were men and playing yeah. against boys in the AAU circuit. Um, I remember looking down at them that, that day, that, that it was, it was Valentine's Day of 93. Mm-hmm. And watching them warm up and dunking on, you know, with their flashy uh, warm ups and the shiny warm ups, and they're dunking on our baskets. I just remember looking down there, and, and the thought that I had was the nerve of these guys to come into here and hang on those rims and treat this place like a playground. Like, I remember being mad, like before the tip, like, who do they think they are coming in here and they're going to get whooped? You can't come in here and win, period. And the, the confidence that you felt with Coach, with the crowd, with Calvert, Allen, all these great players, we just believed in each other. Like, there, there's no way they're going to come in here throwing lobs to each other and playing loose and playing free. And, you know, they, they can't beat us. If we play the way we're supposed to play, 
our disciplined brand of basketball is going to beat them 10 times out of 10. And so when I see, you know, still to this day when, you know, whoever writes a book or the Fab Five, you know, 30 for 30 comes out, I just, you know, and I'm not a blogger. Trust me when I tell you, and I'm not a, I'm not a commenter either on Instagram, but I want, I want to comment. <laughs> and I have typed a few different times, typed a little one-liner zinger, you know, just to remind everybody, these guys never won a Big Ten championship. What right. did they win? They they had they started wearing black socks and long shorts, and they were fun to watch. I mean, looking back, they did bring something to college basketball. I, I do look back on them differently than I felt about them. I think that you you said that perfectly. By the way, you don't have to worry about commenting. Indiana fans will take care of that. Whenever Michigan comes up, we're always happy to remind anybody that the Fab Five didn't win anything and lost three of their four games to Indiana. So don't don't worry there. We have your back on that one. <laughs> We had a, um, you asked about Calvert, like, a, you know, playing with him. What was it like playing with him and some of the high moments? He, I mean, he was a great, great teammate. One of my favorites, if not my favorite of all time. And uh, just his quiet leadership. He, you know, he didn't have much to say. He led by example, but he was a good teammate. You know, he, as great as he was, you know, he treated everybody well. He'd sit by you on the airplane and, you know, I'd, I'd sit there thinking, I'm, I'm sitting next to a basketball star. You know, I'm, this guy's going to be a you know top ten pick in the NBA, and he's he, he was so humble, always still is so so humble, just such a good guy. In that game though, late in the game, I, I, I don't know if we have like a, I don't know, we were either down one or up one, and I shoot a three pointer from the right corner and make it. The place, I mean, it was you know probably at the five minute mark, something like that, and the place is really really loud, and I, that game was just electric. There's no doubt, it, it was one of the loudest if not the loudest I ever heard Assembly Hall. And we we go down and get a stop and a steal. We come back down, and I let one fly from the same spot early in the shot clock. Um, and I don't know that I hit anything. I, I may, it may have drew, drew a little bit of iron, uh, but it was, a, it was a quick shot, which, you know, you, you need to make those, basically. I, I'll, just, I'll just leave it at that. You, you need to make those. If you shoot it that early in a possession with coach and, and, and that kind of game, you need to make it. I missed it. Calvert Cheney gets the rebound under the basket and sends it right back out to me. And I quickly took the shot, another three from the same spot, made it, and the place went nuts. And I think that built like a five- or six-point lead, something like that. And I remember running down the court thinking, whoa, that would have been really, really bad had that not gone in, you know. The college player of the year gets the rebound under the basket and trusted me enough to flip it back out to me, and I chuck it up again. I missed that one. I'm pretty certain you're not seeing me the rest of the game. I'm on the bench somewhere. <laughs> we hope you're enjoying this podcast sponsored by U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank has had endless stories of taking side gigs to the next level. Their recipe to success is simple, providing the support and partnership you need, just like a family member would bringing you that peace of mind that is much needed, but also sprinkling you with confidence to strive for greatness. Because the sky's the limit, and they'll make sure you get there. U.S. Bank. We'll get there together. Back to the episode. Unexpected trouble? CashNet USA can take the stress out of borrowing emergency funds. Our fast, secure application process makes it easy to apply online 24-7. Plus, CashNet USA offers same-day funding if approved before 10.30 a.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. 
Additional terms may apply. Visit cashnetusa.com or tap the banner to apply today. You know, it's so interesting. You talk about that experience in the Michigan game and being there in warm-ups and being angry and, and just, you know, having this internal ownership of Assembly Hall. Like, these guys aren't going to come here in here and do this. But also having the confidence to go along with it that you talked about. And, you know, we've talked about this a lot on our show, that it feels like that has been missing from the IU program. You know, A, just the defend home court at all costs. You know, I grew up, shoot, we won 50 games in a row. You know, a home loss was like the craziest thing, you know, that ever happened. But also, you know, like Indiana over the past 10 years has had some big wins. But a lot of those wins have been as underdogs, you know, kind of not taken very lightly. And you kind of, you know, step up and you beat a ranked team. But we haven't really played well as the team that's favored. You know, been able to handle that kind of success, and I'm, I'm curious, where does that come from in a program? That ability to handle success and kind of be a favorite and just take care of your business, but also that burning desire to say, "This is our house, and we're not letting anybody come in here and do it." Like, why did we lose that? What do you think needs to happen to get it back? Well, a lot of that had to do with the guy running the show. Um, let's be honest. You know, that we haven't had that since since he was the guy on the sideline, just a, you know, he, he just set the bar and the expectations were such, um, and, and they had, you know, they had years, even Alford's first couple of years, the team wasn't all that great. We, you know, those years that we're talking about, we had the roster, we had the experience, you know, those, that Calvert's group, they played as freshmen, you know, and they took their lumps as freshmen. The next three years, those were great years of a deep team, a veteran team, that expected to win and, and certainly, certainly expected to win at home and defend the home court. That was just part of it. It was like, how, you, you know, collectively, we believe in each other. We're going to play hard. You know, we, we had enough guys that put the team first that, you know, nobody was out there trying to get their own statistics. That's important. You know, I, I, I can't, I can't speak to these rosters recently and who's in those locker rooms. You know, I knew that I didn't have to play my best for that team to win in 92, 93. You know, if coach thought my head was getting a little bit big, and he did this a couple times that year, I had a couple really big games, right, on the on the top team in the country and was a young, you know, was a young guy, you know, 18, 21, 22-point game. I, he went out of his way to, to make sure that I didn't have a big head and didn't think that the next game I was scoring 20. And he sat me down, you know, and there's times I didn't get a lot of, playing time and, and I think just let me know, Hey, we don't need you to win these games. We need a, the effort. The effort has to be there. It's a collective group, you know, and that changed, you know, the next couple of years that changed where the expectations, I mean, I had to play well for us to win. Um, Calvert, even on that team, Calvert could have an off night and that team could win games. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Totally. I don't think these teams that we've, they've been watching lately just, I don't know because I'm not in the locker room, so I want to be careful not to say you know, that they're missing leadership or you know what's the missing ingredient. Um, but certainly there wasn't an expectation to win, and I think you said it best. We could win a game that nobody expected us to win, go up and win in Iowa, and maybe Iowa didn't come ready to play. You know, I could tell you that these teams—it's a big difference between being a middle of the pack team and trying to win a road game when you're the underdog versus going on the road as the favorite on the road we did a lot of that too that's a that's a big jump from where this team is right now uh, and you know i know 
I can tell by talking to you, you're you're a, a super fan like me, hoping that that's where we get back to. Because that, mm-hmm. that's just that's so much fun to be the hated team and to go into uh, Mackey Arena with Bob Knight and the booze. Oh man, and the booze I and mean, just just running onto that court with that tin roof and the echoing and the hatred and you know the inferiority complex that those guys have had for so, so long that I enjoyed so, so much to go on their court and listen to the booze and the IU sucks and know that we're still going to whoop them. That was a great, great feeling. The inferiority complex isn't even gone and they've beaten us seven straight times. So I think that's just the, <laughs> just the way of the world. Now we just need to start beating them again. <laughs> you know, so true. you know, one of the things that helps a lot <clears throat> to, to feel confident and to go on the road and beat good teams is to be able to shoot, be able to make shots, which we, which we've talked about some, you know, and I, I look down at the roster of that 93 team and I just marvel at the shooting because if you made a list, like if you just asked most IU fans to make a list of the top 15, 20 shooters in, in school history, I think Calvert, Greg, Damon, Pat Graham, Todd Leary, and you would all be on that list. And that doesn't even mention Ricky Rowe who was on that team, Matt Nover. Out of those guys, like, I'm sure you guys had to have, like, shooting contests, like, play horse and do different things. Who won the most shooting contests in practice? Like, of all these great shooters, who, who internally was kind of the guy that had proven himself as the best of that group? Well, we didn't. We didn't. I mean, our practices were, they were Bob Knight practices, and they weren't, um, like I saw in the NBA a lot, a lot of shooting contests, like you mentioned. I mean, there was none of that kind of stuff. Um, his practice routine was was his, and we got shots up. It's it's when I think back, like we'd be two guys at a basket, mm-hmm. and it would be one guy shooting, working the perimeter, and but it was always like little V cuts. Like you couldn't just you weren't just catching and shooting like you know. Like I, you do in the summertime, everything was with a cut, setting it up with a cut predicated, you know, on the motion offense, that there's going to be movement. You're not going to be just standing there jacking shots. Um, and so it was hard. So like one guy's rebounding for a minute, the other guy's setting up cuts. It was easier to be the rebounder, if that <laughs> makes any sense. Because yeah. everything we did, there was so much purpose and like conditioning was always a part of it. Movement was already part of it. It was like two birds, one stone kind of thing with Coach. It was not going to be, you know, standing at the three-point line. He didn't like the three-point shot, you know. He hated it. And, you know, and, and obviously the game has changed an awful lot. Now the volume of threes. It's like now we've got all these guys that can't shoot threes that we're expecting to shoot all these threes. And here we had that team with all those great shooters. And Coach really did not like the three-point shot. He wanted, he wanted easy shots. He wanted, you know, guaranteed buckets. Um, having said all that, I kind of try avoiding the question a little bit, but I would, uh, I'd have been happy to play horse with any of those guys. (laughs) Okay. So, okay. Let me ask it this way. Take yourself out of it. If there had been a horse contest between those guys, who are you putting your money on? Man. Um, not Damon. Um, (laughs) Poor Damon. Pat Graham, <laughs> Pat Graham standing there. I mean, Damon was great. Damon was all right. But in a shooting contest, Pat Graham's tough. Todd was sneaky tough. I mean, just a great shooter. You leave him open, he's making shots. I mean, guys like those two guys 
couldn't create shots for themselves, a lot like myself, you know, we can't create our own space. So you just, you become a good enough shooter that when you do have room and there's not a hand in your face, you're knocking it down. Those two guys were great shooters. Uh, Calvert didn't have the range that maybe those two guys had. It's really tough to say. Really tough to say. I'd probably throw my money on Todd just because he didn't get to play enough and he had a chip on his shoulder. And if you got him in a game of horse, he'd probably beat those guys. Hmm. You know, you mentioned Coach not liking the three-point shot. If he had had, you know, say another 20, 25 years to coach, how do you think he would have evolved? You know, based on what you know of him, how do you think he would have evolved as the game has evolved? Like, do you think he, you know, was so attached to the principles that he had and those offensive principles that the game would have kind of passed him by? Or do you think he would have figured out a way to adapt and, you know, win and, and be successful just like he always was? No, he was, no, he, for sure. He would, um, always win, always be successful. He's maybe the only person I've ever met, but maybe there's one other person. I mean, for sure. Coach Knight, I, I always have thought of him as he could have gone and done whatever he wanted to do and been the best at it. Like he could have sold insurance and been the best insurance guy in, in the world. He just, there's a competitiveness in him. He's just going to figure out how to win. And I really think that's what he was as a basketball coach. It's like, he just, He's a basketball savant with a, a motor and expectations so high, and he's going to put in the time and all the effort, energy into doing it. He's going to get it done. So as the game changed, I believe that Coach would have been known for the guy that figured out how to, you know, um, to guard the three-point line better, you know, where defensively, we would have been better. His teams would have been better at defending this kind of new brand of basketball than anybody else. He would have started with that, is stopping that that style of play, uh, or being effective defensively against that style, this new style of basketball. And I think he would have had to open it up too. And uh, I don't think he would ever fall in love with the three point line. Um, he, you're not going. He's not going to let guys that can't shoot it shoot it. I think he would have recruited more guys like me. More guys like Pat and Todd and, you know, these guys that can make shots. I and mean, he'd have more guys like us on the bench that can make threes. And then he would open it up and let those guys shoot. I, I, I promise you he wouldn't have had a roster like they had this year and promoting Jack and three-point shots with a bunch of guys that can't shoot them. I, I know he wouldn't have done that. <laughs> no, no, not a chance. So let me ask you one more question about the 93 team. And then I got a bunch of questions from our community members that I want to ask you. You know, you mentioned that team, that roster, you know, not having a whole lot of size on it, which is why the, the Allen Henderson injury hurt so much. Yeah. Did you feel threatened at all by the recruitment of 6'8 Ivan Renko? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's good. That's good. I've never, I haven't been asked that one. Um, but uh, but, but I, do, I, I vaguely remember that time, right? I, and I remember as a fan, when we played the, you know, the Russian national team in assembly hall and he took the team off the court. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I remember, I mean, I remember that as a, I mean, just a diehard fan, just like you, um, at that time. So coach was, we had that year was so, you know, so much fun. We had so much going on, so much winning that he was just trying to manufacture some nonsense just to, I think, keep the pressure off us. And he was so great at that. And I'll go back to even playing on the road. And he took a lot of pressure off the number one team in the country who was favored on the road every game we played um, because 
he was such a focal point. I mean, he was getting booed so hard in all these places. And, you know, and we, I remember pulling up on the bus at Michigan and they had fans outside Chrysler. The, the bus had to kind of go down a, uh, like a ramp to get in. And they had all these uh, fans standing above with snowballs, just pelting the bus, trying to, and we got off the bus trying to hit us with snowballs and, and screaming at Bob Knight. Like he, he had so much attention on him that it took it off of us. And, you know, when he did the thing down in Albuquerque with the whip, yeah. I mean, nowadays you're fired. I mean, goodbye. Oh, man. Uh, that... you're fired, <laughs> Yeah, you know, but he did all that kind of stuff. And then when he was making the faces, you know, at the press conference, I think that was the next season. Um, he did a lot of that kind of stuff. It just took the focus off the team and put it on him and it kind of eased things up for us to play. And I, I think there was a lot of genius to that. There's one other question that I wanted to ask you, um, and it's about player development. And I don't, we don't need to get into like, you know, the lack of player development in recent seasons, any of that. But I'm curious to get your thoughts on it kind of from a macro perspective, because you are a guy who was, you know, just, I mean, you're one of the great player development stories in IU history, as I said. You know, and, and I've heard you on other podcasts, on podcasts on the brink on Hoosier Hysterics, talk about this. And, you know, you've talked about how it has to come from the player and the player has to be motivated, you know, so it's not all on the coaches. But what I am curious about from your perspective is what role can and should coaches play? Like, how does a coach create a culture of player development that then if you recruit motivated players into it, they're going to thrive? What are the elements there? Yeah, that's a loaded one, guys, because I'm not a coach, you know, and I didn't get into it. And I, um, you know, I know that the game has changed a lot since I was there. And I, again, you heard me talk about it before. You got to take ownership as the player. You got to really want it. You know, I, I really wanted to be a good player there. I, you know, and I, I think it was great for me that I had Calvert, you know, that I was guarding every day. And you know, when that season ended, I thought to myself, hey, I, you know, this is a big opportunity. These guys are gone. I'm looking around the locker room going, I, I got to be a, a central you know, figure on this next team. I want it really bad. And coach was, coach was great at creating a culture of competition, you know, and, and that's part of it. I mean, yes, they're your teammates, but you know, they're your, you're, they're, they're your playing time enemies too. <laughs> it's, it's a fine line. And I remember looking around going, well, who, who's, you know, whose throat do I have to cut to, to play on this team? Cause I have to, I have to do it. And we had great players. Coach was, you mentioned Ivan Ranko. <laughs> he did every summer. He would call me in and sit down and just say, especially my last two or three years and be like, you know, you've, you've played well, you've done this, you know, you, you played through this shoulder injury. Um, but you know, you're not going to play next year. You know, I'm, I'm done with your, you know, your three point shooting and your, your defense and your lack of awareness, defense. I'm, I'm, I'm done. You're, you will not play on this next year's team. So if you want to go somewhere else, you can go somewhere else, but you're not going to play on this team because I just recruited this guy and I don't want to throw those names out. Uh, but, you know, a guy that he had signed for the next season and he would build that guy up to me and say, this guy's coming in. He, he's taller than you. He's a better athlete than you by a long shot. And he's going to do the things I want done and you're not going to play. And I, you know, I'd go into the off season going, I got to show him, you know, okay, this is going to be a competition. This guy's coming to take my spot. He's going to have to, he's going to have to bring it every single day. And, the, and the, one of the really cool things about coach was he really, I didn't, you know, as a fan, you, I always thought, heard of the Bob Knight doghouse, right? Oh, some Steve Alford's in the doghouse or mm -hmm. Stu Robinson's in the doghouse and the guy wouldn't play. 
And he th- you know, I don't know what I thought as a kid. Did he not go to class? Did he not show up to practice on time? I wonder what he did. And what, and I was blessed and lucky enough to get there, right? So I could see behind the curtain. And then the truth is this. Coach did not care who played. He had no favorites. He did not care. Is You earned your playing time by the way you practiced. So if the guy that was playing behind me came to practice and whipped my butt for a week, he's playing. He plays in the game, and I don't. And, and he just he would turn your jersey over so fast your head would spin. You're on the red team, which is the starting unit. The guy on the white team's lighting you up. He just says, Brian, Eggers, switch jerseys. Now he's on the red team. I'm on the white team. And if the, if the guy continues to outplay you, he plays in the game. And so there was a fairness about it, you know, where, you know, I, I had guys that, you know, younger guys as, as I was a veteran and captain on the team that were frustrated and, you know, can't find their way onto the court or for whatever reason, just feeling down. And my advice was always to them, you got to have a, you know, don't complain, have a huge week in practice and see what happens. You got to, you know, you got to just give a, a crazy effort, whip the guy in front of you, and he's going to play you. That's what you have to do. And he, and he did. And that was the coolest thing. Like, nobody owned a position. You had just to go earn it every single day, which is great. I don't think it's like that other places. I really don't. No. You know, which, which, which has me thinking about this year's team, because there's a ton of enthusiasm about, you know, just this offseason, Coach Woodson taking over, and this roster that they've put together. You know, it's like, man, we've got all these great new players. And then, of course, you've got kind of the pendulum swing to the other side with the discussion. It's like, but wait a minute. How are we going to keep all these guys happy? Like, how how is there going to be enough playing time? When you look at this, like, as a player, like, do you think that's just fan nonsense to talk about? You know, or do you think guys internally are thinking that way? Like, how do you view, you know, kind of now Indiana having a roster where people are like, well, not, you know, there's almost too much talent on it. There's too many good players. Well, I, I'm nowhere near thinking that's the case. I, you know, I, I, I would caution you to not feel that way. because You know, we were... Every day that we were getting guys committed to come back, it was like, you know, people celebrating. And I, and I was quick to say, well, wait a minute. <laughs> these, were, these aren't all guys that I was really excited about watching a month ago. I'm not, you know, not going to throw a ticker tape parade that they decided to come back. You know, so I don't know that we have some star-studded roster. I, I, you know, let, show it to me. You know, I want to see it. Um, I think we're going to have a lot – the culture – uh, the Mike Woodson culture is going to feel a lot more like the Bob Knight culture did. But I, I got to tell you that I think the players have really changed. You know, we may have had a couple powder, you know, guys that would pout a little bit if they, if they were in the doghouse or not playing well. But we also knew that if you didn't play well, you're going to go sit down, you know, and, and coach would take you out. You know, you mess up two or three times, you're going to go sit down on the bench. That's just the way it was. And I think that there's a softness to some of today's players. I'm not going to label them all soft. That That's not fair. But I think there's a culture of softness. I mean, the fact that you're, we're talking about how do we keep them all happy. You think Coach cared if we were happy? He didn't care <laughs> if we were happy. He's trying to win. And and But that is the culture now. It's like, oh, my goodness, what, Christian Lander's going to leave. He's not playing enough, and he left high school. You know what, Coach, what is that? Who cares? Because if his whole thing was trying to figure out who the weak links were, who are the guys that deep down were selfish, who are the guys that really truly cared more about, you know, who the name on the back versus the name on the front. He was trying to find those guys and get rid of them. 
who are they? Who does he want to go to battle with in the Big Ten on the road in the middle of in the middle of January? And if we can identify guys that are about themselves and their own player development, I mean, I didn't think about it as player development. I thought I got to get better. I, I mean, I'm I'm not good enough. I got to get way better. And then you go to work. You know, shame on anybody that thinks it's the coaching staff in the summertime that's going to make these guys better. The coaches, it's the off season. The coaches. There's limited contact with the players. It's really on you. You know, there needs to be, you ask the question, there needs to be meetings, right, with the staff and the player in an individual meeting. We didn't even do that. We didn't do that. But there was a culture of get to work, dude. <laughs> get to work. You want to be, you want to be average? Then, then just screw around all summer. But, the, you know, it's, it's on the player. You know, so there's a meeting, a sit down, and like, here's where your gaps are. I mean, that, that's the thing with Coach. You knew what they were, and he was really good at communicating your shortcomings and where you need to get better or how you can get on the court. He was great with me just as a freshman on that team that we talked about for 30 minutes. He was. He said, you want to play on this team? I said, yes. Yes, sir. Does it rebound and get Calvert Chaney open? That's it. That's how you get on the court. Just rebound. And get him open. And when you do, you set screens for him. His guy is going to fight through that screen and go with Calvert. And more times than not, your guy is going to go help on Calvert. And you're going to be standing there wide open. And the one thing that you could do offensively is, is make open shots. So get your ass in there and rebound and get him open. And, I, and trust me when I tell you, that's all I, did. I, that's all I thought about is rebounding and getting him open. And ultimately – I got a lot of open shots and scored, end up scoring a lot of points on that team. But it goes back to my role was clearly defined. I, I wondered about these last few teams that we've had to watch. Do they have roles? Are they defined at all? You know, when guys come out, I, I had a hard time understanding rotations, you know, and, and why is that guy checking in? And sometimes I think, well, that guy was on a roll. Why is he going out? Uh, you know, I, I, I never saw that with our teams. Like you, you knew why you weren't playing and he was very, very clear. So in the, in the off season, Richard Mandeville and Sharon Wilkerson, these teammates of mine, they knew what they needed to work on. There, there wasn't, there was no question. If you wanted to get better, you, you were hearing about it all the time, you know, what your shortcomings were. So you didn't even need that off season, you know, face to face of what you needed to get better. at. <laughs> you knew everybody knew. You know, what I hear when you talk about that, you know, if we're kind of framing this as what can a coach do, it seems to me that you're really pointing to the importance of trust, you know, because, you know, you trusted what coach said to you that that's what you needed to get better at. But also, you know, you mentioned that conversation you had with him where he's basically telling you, hey, you know, we've recruited over you. Why don't you go find it, you know, another place to play? If you didn't trust that if you got better and actually outplayed whoever it was in practice that you'd actually play you might have been more apt to take him seriously and transfer, don't you think? So, I mean, because that's what I feel has been missing is just a trust in the direction of where the staff is leading, the direction of, you know, what he thinks is the vision for a particular player. I feel like we haven't had that as much between player and coach. And it sounds like with you and with Coach Knight, there was. Well, I mean, I think my situation was a little unique. He, he's way unique, right? Let's mm -hmm. be honest. But my situation, I was getting better. I was improving. I knew it. I could feel it. Even from the day I got there, I had a long way to go, right? I mean, I, 
I was a far cry. I mean, Chris Reynolds was a, one of my favorite teammates, and I heard he was interviewed way back when talking about me. I think he was in law school my last couple of years and was getting asked about me. And he said, you know, when I first got there, they were laughing at me. Like, guys on the team, like, this guy's he can't play. Why did they recruit him? You know, this, this dude can't play at this level. And there was a lot of truth to it. So I was getting better. And so I wasn't. And I, I grew up idolizing Coach Knight in this program and just loved it. So I, I felt like I was playing for the basketball Beatles. You know, we were rock stars. <laughs> I, who the heck transfers from there? I mean, I, I was never, I was never disgruntled. I was getting better leaps and by leaps and bounds. Coach had a lot to do with that. He was pressing all the buttons. It was kind of a perfect storm. I really wanted to be a good player. He always used to get on me about having an inflated opinion of how good I was. I had confidence, right? I believed in myself. He used to like kind of make fun of me. It was like, you have the most inflated opinion of your ability of anybody I've ever seen in my life, which I love that. I took that like, Hey, I'm confident. Yeah. I believe, you know, you're not going to crack me. You're not going to make me lose confidence. If I'm open, I'm, I think I can make, I took shots that, you know, he, he lost his mind, you know, early in the shot clock, I jacked a three. He wanted to kill me. But, I, I mean, I believed I was going to make it, and I always kind of looked at him like almost like astonished that it didn't go in. And I, I knew that went a long way with him. Just I, I, took some, uh, I took some serious waterboarding from him at times from missing a, a shot at the wrong time I shouldn't have taken in his mind. But I believed in myself, and, and over time he believed in me too. He just – I had such a good relation, playing relationship with him, and, and, and that doesn't mean it was easy. He was on me all the time, but he trusted me. He did. He never pulled me from lineups. He never sat me on the bench. I, he really did trust me to play, and I, you know, I think he trusted I was trying to play the right way. I made a million mistakes, but I was trying to play his style of basketball always. So I, any film session, we'd get in, and you know, he could stop and, and you know, point point out that I'm out of position and I'm sure I was out of position a ton, but I was always trying, right? I could always just like, I'm trying to get there and I could kind of defend my position and I'm, I'm trying to play for the, the name on the front and not the name on the back, but he was the best at, again, at seeking at finding the guys that really were going after, you know, trying to build themselves up and not the team. When you talk about player development and, I get queasy when I hear guys talk about adding to their game. You know, it's a, it's a modern player phrase. They say, oh, my game this and my game that. If you, would have said, if you would have referenced my game, I think Coach would have killed you on the spot. Like Everything we did was about each other, was about the team. You wouldn't even – you wouldn't talk about yourself like that. You wouldn't talk about, oh, my game, you know, I've added this to my game. I added a turnaround or a jump hook to my game. He would read that. I mean, he'd be in your face if he read that quote, that you were getting interviewed by Bob Hamlin. You were talking about your game. And that's just so, – that's that may sound like nothing, but that's just how much things have changed. I mean, now that's totally accepted. Oh, my game, I'm going to do this in my game, and I'm this summer my game is going to – you know, Trace Jackson Davis, I would, I hope he's adding a, uh, a right hand to quote unquote his game and a jump shot to his game. But it's, you know, that's changed too, you know, from the 20 years since I played, 25 years since I played. Yeah. 
If you've got a personal auto insurance question, you could talk to a cab driver. Although the policies he recommends might include avoiding the interstate, beating traffic by taking the back roads, and only making left turns when absolutely necessary. Or you could talk to your local GEICO agent, whose policy is to use their expertise to navigate your insurance, finding the best route to help you save money on insurance for your home, car, and more. And as an added bonus, you'll be able to avoid traffic jams and potholes entirely. To find a GEICO agent near you, visit geico.com local. Si tú y tus amigos ordenan de McDonald's juntos, deja que los demás agarren su comida primero. Yo sé, el solo pensar en el olor de las papitas y tener que esperar para meter tu mano en la caja y sacar unas suena loco. Pero por regla, si eres la última persona que sostiene la bolsa, entonces las papitas que se cayeron al fondo de la bolsa son tuyas. La paciencia paga, amigos. Para pa pa pa. So I want to ask you this question from one of our community members, and you alluded to it earlier, uh, but this is a memory that always comes up when people think about you. And Philip says, one of my all-time favorite memories for an Indiana basketball player was when Brian Evans suffered from a separated shoulder during a collision. Uh, after that, just shoved his shoulder back in place to continue playing, which I remember I was at that game. At that moment, I knew that Brian Evans was a tough, tough, hard-nosed player. Please ask him what he thought at the time and if he remembers that play. Could you ever forget that play? Well, I, rem- I mean, I just the injury itself. I remember so well. It was, you know, I when I first dislocated my shoulder, it was it was at Market Square Arena in the Hoosier Classic, and I was saving a ball from out of bounds with my right arm and like uh, jumped towards out of bounds, caught it, and like flinged it backwards and saved it, and my shoulder popped out of place. I'd never had a a major injury at that time. That was the first time I'd ever really been hurt. I don't know that I'd ever even turned an ankle before in basketball. Um, that's not true. I, I broke my uh, thumb in the in that Kansas game that you talked about, the final. Mm. Actually, I broke it against Louisville before that. But, yeah, I mean, I did like two weeks of rehab. That kind of injury, you could go have season-ending surgery or you could try to find a way to play through it. So what the – the plan was, was I did like, I don't know, 10 days of rehab and missed a game or two, just trying to do these like arm, like band work, you know, strengthening exercises to try to uh, build up the muscles around the shoulder, uh, where the dislocation took place. And I hated missing games that felt terrible. Right. I, I, I know the team went on the road trip. I, I forget where they went, but I didn't go. I think it was maybe Minnesota. And I've stayed at home to rehab. I just hated it. You know, I just felt terrible um, missing games. And then when I came back out and played, so the, the, the Iowa game, I had already missed a couple games rehabbing this thing. I was just more worried that they would know that I got hurt again and they'd take me out and I would have to miss two games. Like, I just didn't want them to think I was, I had dislocated my shoulder. Mm-hmm. And that's really basically it. So it was like a, it was a free throw, and I want to say that it was against Iowa. The guy stepped in the lane and, like, kind of elbowed me, and boom, it came. At this point in time, the shoulder was really loose, and boom, it came out. I felt it slide about halfway out of place. It wasn't all the way out. Um, if you fully dislocate your shoulder, they call it a sublix, and, and the, somebody has to help you put it back into place. Like, the, Dr. Bamba put it back in place when I first heard it. Um, this didn't come all the way out, but it slid partially and I don't know I just 
the shoulder was loose enough at the time that it wasn't like some kind of excruciating pain and you're playing. So you've got some adrenaline and I didn't want to, I didn't want Tim Garl to see, see it happen and take me out. That's really all it was. I think it was Juwan Morgan's sophomore year when he dealt with a similar thing and his shoulder would keep popping out. Did you ever, did you ever talk with him and like share experiences for what it was like playing through that injury? No, you know, I'm too much of a, it's I'm too ancient, man. That's, that's ancient times. And I don't, I'm not down there in enough games. And, um, you know, if, if Tim Garl, you know, wanted me to, I would have, you know, Tim could have set that up. Um, I, you know, I didn't. And I, and I, to be honest, I didn't even know what his injury was. I mean, I, I know he was dealing with something with his shoulder. I don't know if it was a separation or like mine, which was a dislocation. Um, I, I don't know what he was dealing with. I would have talked to him. Seemed like a great kid. I know that Tim and some of the guys on that are, have been around all these years, Scott, Scott Dolson, they all loved him, said he was a great kid. Yeah. Do you anticipate now with, with Coach Woodson being in place that there will be more interactions you know, like that? Like maybe not that specifically, but do you anticipate yeah. a lot more player and former player interaction? Well, you know, we'll see. I don't know. It's it's it it, it was strange. I mean, I I think after that first year, you know, I I don't know. I, I don't. My gut feeling was that Archie was never very comfortable in Bloomington. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just that's just a gut feeling. You know, he he certainly didn't embrace the um, the media side of things. He has just such a gruffness to him. And you know, at, at first, I, it was like an all business kind of attitude that I said, "Hey, who cares? You know, if, if we just want to win." If he if he wants to be kind of a, a hard ass and not real not real uh, animated or fun to listen to talk, that's okay. He's an old ball coach. That's fine. I didn't care. Um, and then as things kind of snowballed on him, I, I just don't ever think he was very. I don't still think he's, it wasn't a good fit. It just was not a good fit. Um, I think with Woody, it's going to be up to him if he sees that as a. He knows today's players better than I do. I, I really don't know him if. If there's any benefit of involving guys like myself, well, we're all here. We'll all do it. I mean, I'm if, if they wanted me to mentor a kid and pick the kid on the roster that he wanted me to talk to, I'd do it in a heartbeat, you know, as would all these other former guys that live around here like I do. Uh, we'll do anything. You know, I, I know I told Archie when he first got the job, I said, if you're, you know, recruiting a kid up anywhere near Indianapolis, you know, I'll, I'll go watch a ball game with you, you know. We'll go out, go out and get a bite to eat afterwards. Oh, man. You know, Steve Green will go with you. Joe Hillman will go with you. There's a plenty of guys here that would do anything for Indiana basketball. He never took us up on any of that. You know, he never he never said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm up in downtown watching some AAU. Why don't you come down and watch with me? You know, we could, we could be helpful. You know, if, you're, if they're recruiting kids anywhere within a couple hours of where we live and, and their parents, you know, watched back in the, back in the day when I played, and IU wants to recruit their kid. I'll go to the game with Woody, right? I and mean, we'd we'd do that in a heartbeat. And and Archie, you know, he never took us up on that kind of thing. And but he has a huge job to do. I wasn't mad about it. It was like this guy's got a big job. That's why it pays what it pays. That's how important the job is. And you know, he's got a lot of work to do. And I, I don't think kissing former players' ass is part of it. It's just not. Like I and I don't care at all. I just want us to win. I mean, if that offer extends to podcasters, I'll take you up on it and go watch a game with you. 
right, let's do it. You got to come and see us at Aurora first. When, yeah, I know. When you come visit, we'll go. We'll go watch some AAU. <laughs> right. Um, you know, a couple more questions. I, I appreciate your time, and I don't. I don't want to keep you here too long. Um, so a couple more questions for you. On that note. Was there ever an interaction with a former player that really meant something to you or made a difference to you when you were in Indiana? Hmm. A player interaction. Yeah, like a guy that came back that gave a speech or you know, some kind of oh, mentorship gosh, yeah. that okay. they gave. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, something like that. Sorry. Oh, absolutely. I was thinking like inter- on, on the team. No, coach had guys come back all the time. What was really unique about uh, the way coach did that, I, that I, I have a real appreciation for the older I get, um, is that he, he would invite somebody in to talk and he would trust that person with, with his team, his, his prized possession. Right. And he'd walk out after introducing that person and leave the room. And, and he would leave that person with his team and whatever message they wanted to share, he'd trusted just like he did. He trusted us with his offense. I mean, it's the same kind of thing that person could come in and speak to the team and say whatever they wanted. And, you know, Coach Crean used to invite me down to speak to the team, usually once or a couple of times, twice in the season. Uh, one time, maybe like a pregame, hype them up before the Purdue game kind of thing. Uh, but anytime he invited me down to speak, he would always kind of squat down or sit amongst the players and listen. And it, it always kind of bothered me like, Gosh, you know, it changes my message a little bit, right? And, and what I could talk about if I'm just talking to a group of 19 and 20 year olds versus he and his whole staff listening. Yeah. And um, I don't even know if that makes sense, but I would totally appreciate that with with Coach Knight. Is he was saying I trust this guy? The first, ironically, the first guy that I remember speaking to our team uh, my freshman year was Steve Green, <laughs> which is kind of cool. Yeah. And, I, I, what I remember thinking, so I'm two months into, you know, my Bloomington experience, maybe three months into it and really dragging, I mean, just juggling school, you know, all the conditioning stuff, how hard we're working practice had just started. You know, I was pretty banged up at the time, you know, just bruised and battered from all these screens and thinking, man, how am I going to survive this thing? And Steve came in and talked and coach was super proud of Steve for a lot of reasons, but that he had success in basketball at a high level. And then he was went on to a successful career as a dentist, went back to dental school, all the stuff that Steve did. And he was Coach Knight's first ever recruit at IU, which was cool. And I didn't know that, so that was interesting. But when he came and talked to the team, the first thing I thought about was, so people can survive this. Here's a guy that survived playing for Bob Knight. Um, and he had a great message, you know, and, and Steve understood what Coach wanted because he had played for him. And he knew what the message should be. And it was very positive. It was very uplifting. It was more about, you know, what it's like to play for coach. Look, I understand. Sometimes you're, you're hearing all this. and it's, But what you need to be hearing is what he's telling you. You know, not how he's saying it, but what he's saying. And, he, you know, just a couple, really gold, a couple of nuggets of, of knowledge of how to play for coach and how to do the things that he wants done. Um, and not get, not let things get lost in interpretation. So Steve was great. You know, I remember when Isaiah came back, he was a, you know, a favorite of mine as a young kid. Uh, Randy Whitman was, I think my favorite player as a, as a young kid, call it 11 years old, 10, 11. Uh, I liked Steve Alford, obviously. 
those guys were all heroes of mine. So when they would come back and speak to the team, um, just I always get a thrill out of it. Isaiah came back when he uh, retired from the NBA. Uh, Ted Kitchell was one of my favorite players, and he was around at that time uh, doing you know TV stuff and radio, and he was always good to me. Pull me aside and you know encourage me, and he would know I I was dealing with you know the coach Knight that he had he had dealt with. We played a very similar position. I think had a lot of similarities as players, so he knew what I was going through. So to see guys like that, you know, around the games and you know come around to practice and and pull you aside, it is important, you know. And I hope that Woody Woody finds guys to do that with, you know, where it makes sense to him. You know, for me, it was huge because I I idolized those guys. So I he, nobody had to introduce me to them. I knew exactly who they were. I, if if I saw them, I'm like, I know exactly who that guy is. Yeah. I know what high school he went to. I know how many points he scored. But that's different. I, I mean, those days are, it's just different now. Yeah. Matt wants to know, knowing what you know now, what would you do or approach differently when it comes to your basketball career? And that could be college or professional. I would, um, I'd have been different in the NBA. I would have been more aggressive. You know, I more aggressive when I was on the court and more aggressive trying to get on the court. I was, you know, I had the, the Bob Knight way, you know, the, he's in charge. You know, I'm going to, I was trying to impress coaches by getting there early, working hard, leaving late, you know, first guy there, last guy to leave kind of thing. Hoping that would get me to where I wanted to go in the NBA. Um, I think I had won the respect and trust of my teammates as a, as a, as a shooter and a, you know, somebody that can make baskets. And, you know, it's just getting that to translate. Like, so I, I would have now, if, if, if I was playing today, I'd have been a little more brash and just a little more bold with shooting and, and taking quicker shots. I, I would come into games and think I got to work the ball and you, Hey, you don't come in jacking shots. Well, in that league you do, you know, I was coming off the bench. It's like a heat check. You know, really the coach wants to see, Hey, if I got it going, I might play 25 minutes, but if I come and play eight scoreless or, and shotless minutes, I'm done. And I, and I, I, I think I still brought maybe a little bit too much of the name on the front of the Jersey mentality to the NBA when it's really all about the name on the back at that point in time, mm-hmm. unless you're playing at that championship level and you're part of a, a team that has a chance to win it, you got to play for the, that, that team and try to win a title. But I'm telling you, it's a, it's a player's league. You hear it all the time. It's about you. And if you want to have a 10 year, 12 year career, you got to find a way I, I would have given me another do over. I'd have been calling Pat Riley and, uh, Phil Jackson and Jerry Sloan and Greg Popovich, guys that ran offenses, right? That and and those are just teams from somebody that studied the game forever. Those were coaches that had offenses, motion offense, triangle offense, where I would have fit really well into one of those offenses. And those guys knew how to, you know, okay, this guy can shoot. He's not going to create shots for himself, but we need him in that corner, you know, because he can make shots in that corner. I would have been texting and seeking out opportunities on those guys' teams and been bold about it. Just call them up. Popovich. Tim Duncan's a good friend of mine. I fit in your team. I fit on your roster. Bring me in. Bring me in. I'll be your 10th man. I'll be your 12th man. Bring me in. I would have been way more aggressive than I was. I, I kept my mouth shut. I did it the Indiana way. And, you know, I ended up playing for three years and then playing overseas for eight years. I think I could have. 
I think I, there was a 10 or 12 year NBA career inside of me for sure in the right situation, but I, I needed to speak up and, and fight for myself a little bit. You've mentioned a couple times now the dichotomy between name on the front of the jersey, name on the back of the jersey. And this is something that's been talked about a lot, you know, because we're kind of talking about, okay, Indiana, we have all these traditions. How do we modernize the program while still kind of maintaining the heart and soul? Would it bother you if they decided to put names on the back of the jerseys? I mean, nothing else about our program resembles what it did back then. (laughs) I'm not, I don't know. I mean, Again, if it, I know guys want to showcase their talent and their game, and, and that's the way it is now, right? I think we held on for a long time doing it a throwback way and doing it the old school way, right? And and I just I don't know that that matters anymore. It 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 did to me, you know. It did then to me. Um, I still get jealous. I see these guys. If I go to a game and these guys come out of the locker room, I'm like, dang, that's the best. I wish I was doing that today. It's the best. It's the best place to play. It's the best crowd. It's the best arena. The, the candy straps is all the best. You know, the, the state of Indiana at half court, I just love the whole thing. If you got to throw names on the back of these jerseys to get blue chip guys to come here, I think it's really sad, but so be it. I mean, if, 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 that's, if that's what's going to help us win, I just want us to win. I really do. I don't care. If you got to put names on the back because that's what these guys like, fine by me. What was your favorite non-basketball memory at IU? It has to be Coach Knight coming back to the Purdue game. Oh, man. That was unbelievable. Just yeah. to be a, just, you know, for me as somebody that grew up the kind of super fan that I was used to be on that court was just, I hate to say surreal because people throw it around too often, but that's all I can think of. Like I flew up for that. It was surreal. It was surreal. It was, it was just the coolest thing. I just stood in the back and just, just watched him interact with, you know, Isaiah and Quinn and the guys that were kind of hovering around him. And just was like, wow, look at this. This is, this is historical. So to, at least to me, it was. And it was just, it was just cool to. When I think about my basketball life, to to have somehow gotten lucky and you know tried hard and caught some breaks along the way to to have been able to play there in the first place, and then to be at the time 45, 46 year old guy standing there amongst some of my heroes. And seeing Coach on the court again was just unbelievable. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah, it was surreal enough that you don't even think about what happened on the court that day, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> oh, God. I would, you know what? I'm not, a, I'm not a gambler. I would have lost the entire farm on mm-hmm. that if I'd have bet. Because I, in my mind, there was just like, but that's how it was. Like, there was first of all, we didn't lose at home. You know, very, very rarely did we lose at home. Rarely did we lose to a Purdue team at home. Mm-hmm. And then you factor in all the things. I would just think that hype and the, just the atmosphere alone would just sweep these guys up and just and carry us to a victory. I cannot believe that game. But it, it really doesn't matter. And that's, what, no. that's what's crazy. In the grand scheme of things, it didn't matter at all. And it was Purdue. I mean, I don't know how we lost, but it doesn't matter. I didn't even watch it. So we were in the 
yeah. in this green room. Basically, we were in uh, Cook Hall, and we're all hanging out. People, it was so much fun to visit with some of those guys and see Coach surrounded by all these former players and their wives and their families. That, and and then just mingling with each other. They had TVs set up all around. I didn't even watch the first half. I mean, I said, you know, are we winning? Are we losing? But you know, Woody was there and Whitman and all these guys that I loved as kid as a kid. They were all around me, and it was it was awesome. So I, I mean, the game itself didn't even matter. And it's it's just it's hard to believe that we just played like a listless hmm. game and lost by ten or twelve. I whatever. It was a it was a breaking point, I think, for many of us who had supported Archie that the team came out and played like that. I just I choose to consider it as just one more Bob Knight victory over Purdue. That him coming back could basically make you make the game irrelevant, you know? Man, it's so funny hearing you say that you're like 45, 46 years old, you know, because I'm 39. And, you know, so like now we're not that far off in age. But man, it's so funny. Like I remember like growing up, you know, you and Calbert and Greg and Damon and Alan, like seem like superheroes you know and like you're you know 50 years older and like these guys that are so far advanced in their lives you know then you kind of get to this point and it's like oh yeah they were, he was like five years older than me six years older than me it's so funny how time changes your perspective of it changes as you get older i i hey i i couldn't agree more i mean i i did that with calvert i mean we, we've talked about him a lot but i'm serious yeah. I, my sophomore year of high school uh, it was his senior year. He, actually, you'll, you'll find this is a funny fact. He broke his foot and missed his whole senior year. He broke it against Terre Haute South, against my team. Oh, did he really? So, I didn't know that. Yeah, we were, we were playing with Holman Center in Terre Haute. And, the first, and he'd already committed to IU. First four possessions of the game, I'm on the bench. I, I played very little as a sophomore. And we had a pretty good team. And um, I'm just watching. and But I'm, you know, again, super fan going, I couldn't believe I was the first time in my life I was going to be on the court with an IU player. Like, I, I mean, it was a big deal to me going, I'm just warming up and he's at the other end. I mean, I was watching Calvert the whole time. First four possessions, he four baskets. He's four for four. He's got eight points. You know, that just that glide, that little floater on the baseline. I mean, just, he was so smooth. I just remember going, that's what a, that's what an IU recruit looks like. Oh my gosh. He goes down with the injury, didn't play the rest of the game, and we beat him. But he, had, he was four for four with eight points in the first th- two, three minutes of the game. Um, I just remember, gosh, that is that was unbelievable. And Calvert's two years older, man. He was kind of like a you know a hero to me as a sophomore in high school. So when I joined the team, you know, it was like I can't believe all these guys are in this locker room. I mean, just sitting in there, our first team meeting, I was like, I can't believe I'm in here. There's Eric Anderson. Oh my God, that's Eric Anderson. He's a Big Ten freshman of the year in '88, '89. I mean, that's what it was like. I was like a kid in a candy store. Well, I can't think of a better way to end uh, this discussion than Brian Evans talking about Calbert Cheney. That that pretty much, if you had told eleven year old me that I'd be having that discussion, I'd be like, "What?" So that's a. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a pretty good time to wrap. I do. I do have one request for you though, and feel free to okay. say no if you don't want to do this. But at the end of every show. We have a tagline, and we say, you know, take it from me, keep your elbows in, keep your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. It's been our tagline basically since we started the show. And as I said, you know, you were always the guy whose shot form I would use if I, like, if my shot got out of whack in high school, I'd always think about Brian Evans' shot form, and it kind of got me going. 
Um, here's actually an example of it. This is Juwan Morgan saying it. Take it from me, Juwan Morgan. Keep your elbows in, eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Would you mind saying that so that we can pull it out and play it at the end of our show? Sure. Sure. Okay, you can say it whenever you're ready, and then I'll be able to pull it out. This, it's just Sure. This is Brian Evans. Take it from me. Keep your elbow in. Keep your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. That's perfect. That is awesome. Brian, I really appreciate the time, man. This was a thrill for me. Great talking to you. Lots of great insight. Uh, and again, you know, we recommend everybody go to aurorasleep.com uh, and check you guys out. I wish you guys good luck, and I look forward to getting up there myself. Hey, that's great. Hey, I enjoyed talking to you. Um, yeah, anytime, man. You know, we, we get going this next season. We're all hyped up, and the Hoosiers are rolling. Let's do it again, and come see us when you're in town. I will. I will. Let's do that. Thank you, Brian. All right. Thank you. Yep, take care. All right. The great Brian Evans, everybody. Thank you to uh, everybody who stuck around here live. I know a lot of you popped in, popped out. Uh, always nice to have a live audience here. Uh, man, awesome. It's one of the coolest parts about you know kind of having this podcast and being around for as long as we have that we get some of these opportunities to, to talk with guys like Brian Evans. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's fun. It's a real thrill. It really is. So really appreciated his insight. And uh, go to AuroraSleep.com, A-R-O-R-A, sleep.com. And uh, other than that, we will talk to you guys on the next episode of Assembly Call Radio. We'll see you inside the community. If you're listening to this on the podcast, if you're not part of the community, you can learn more about it at assemblycall.com slash community. We're going to do more of these you know, live discussions uh, like we did here. Uh, usually, we'll probably end up posting them on the podcast, ep- on the podcast as well. Because you know, we want you guys to be able to hear that content too, but to be able to ask questions, you know, see the video. No real video for this one because uh, Brian was driving, so he didn't have his uh, his video on. Uh, but there may be some that we end up keeping just for just for subscribers. But either way, you know, that community, you join it because you want to be part of a great discussion. You know, it's, it's a group of people just like just like us, people who would spend ninety minutes listening to Brian Evans talk and a host who gets giddy about getting the chance to talk to Brian Evans. These are the people that you will find in the community. So go to assemblycall.com slash community. Uh, check it out. We'd love to have you there. Uh, if you go, like it's a paid community. There's a monthly fee, but there's an annual fee that gives you a discount. But if you want to be part of the community and like, you know, it, now is not a good time for you to pay money, you know, because it's a rough time. That is not a barrier to you joining the community. Just let me know. I have a link that I can get you in for free. Um, you know, like we, we pay, we have it as a paid community because we want there to be a barrier to entry. So not just anybody goes so that, you know, it kind of keeps the conversation. We make sure that it's the kind of fans that we want around there. And obviously it helps support the show and helps us offset the costs and all of that stuff. And, you know, we hope to make a little extra money, you know, on the side so that, you know, we can do this more, but the money should not be an impediment to you joining. And so if you do want to join, but you don't have the money or it's not a good time and you're like, Hey man, I just, you know, I'll be good in six months. Or even if you're never good, just let me know. We'll let you in for free. I'm not that is not going to be an impediment to a, a good IU fan joining our community. Not as long as I'm running it. So assemblycall.com slash community. Check it out. My email is jared at assemblycall.com. You can always reach me there. Appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate you guys watching. And take it from Brian Evans. Keep your elbow in and your eyes on the rim. <laughs> and go Hoosiers. Talk to you guys soon. I like everything about that.
Welcome, we're here with Jess, who is enjoying a cozy night in. That's right, and she's lighting up. Is that candle? Triple wick pumpkin spiced, yes. Oh, she is setting the harvest mood. <gasps> is that a tasteful autumnal wreath? Someone's been to Marshall's again. Well, with quality home decor at great prices, what's stopping her? Oh, Ooh. and a cozy blanket to top it all off. That is so fall. Better get to Marshall's. Fabulous brands. Feel good prices at, at Marshall's. Marshalls. The Ford Mustang Mach-E, the F-150 Lightning, the E-Transit van, three of America's most iconic popular vehicles. They've been fully electrified, and they're making the revolutionary feel familiar. We've got a feeling they'll help make electric vehicles even more popular for all Americans. Call it a hunch. Ford Electric Vehicles, built for America, built Ford proud.